Hey, what's up, guys? Um, I'm uploading an episode I did uh, the other day with uh, Colonel Tom Remfer, and uh, we forgot to do the disclaimer because he uh, was in the military for a long time. Just the disclaimer that, uh, you know, our interview, his words don't represent the Department of Defense or the U.S. government or any of that stuff, and it's, uh, it's always just good to put that disclaimer in there. Um, but, yeah, enjoy the show. We are recording on... Thursday, June 29th, 2023, at 4 p.m. Eastern, sharp, with retired Colonel Tom Remfer, and uh, uh, talking about, amongst other things, uh, emergency use authorization, uh, where that came from, how that has been allegedly abused, and drawing parallels between an anthrax vaccine and the current COVID-19 vaccine. Um, but Buzz, could you please introduce yourself? Sure, sure. My my background is uh, military. I did 32 years in the military, um, retired as a colonel. Um, very grateful for all the experiences that the military gave me. Uh, it, it was uh, uh, a great run. Uh, I was very fortunate to fly a variety of fighter-type airplanes and finish my career flying uh, drones for the military. And uh, during that career, uh, unfortunately, I encountered the anthrax vaccine uh, dilemma uh, that uh, a lot of soldiers in the armed forces similarly experienced uh, an ethical decision uh, whether or not to uh, comply with the anthrax vaccine mandate, which ultimately federal courts uh, ruled was indeed illegal. Uh, federal judges ruled that the uh, vaccine mandated violated um, uh, Title 10, Section 1107 uh, of the U.S. law. And uh, the federal judge actually said that the uh, military um, cannot be allowed to uh, treat our soldiers as guinea pigs. Um, this all stemmed from the um, first Gulf War experience uh, where uh, experimentation did occur uh, on the troops uh, using um, investigational or experimental uh, drug products. And therefore, the Congress, uh, the will of the Congress, they put into place laws to make sure that soldiers' rights of prior consent or informed consent were honored. And so that is essentially the um, uh, backdrop. Uh, that's the landscape of uh, what found us in the anthrax vaccine dilemma in the fall of 1997 and 1998 uh, when the Secretary of Defense announced that they were going to uh, use an investigational anthrax vaccine uh, to mandatorily inoculate the entire armed forces. Um, and at the time, they tried to um, say that the vaccine was not investigational, was not experimental, and that it was licensed by the Food and Drug Administration. And all of that ended up uh, turning out to be false. And we can get into um, a lot of that um, background. Uh, but needless to say, um, we did not comply with the anthrax vaccine mandate because uh, we knew that it was illegal. Uh, we'd actually been tasked by our local chain of command to participate in a, a commander's investigative team process uh, and bring any concerns to the attention of the chain of command um, with respect to the mandate. They called it the Anthrax Vaccine Immunization Program, or the AVIP. And we did that. Uh, we highlighted to them that um, a Senate report from 1997, um, number uh, 103-97, had actually um, uh, shown um, Army officials uh, admitting that the vaccine as used in the first Gulf War experience was uh, investigational. Therefore, they should have uh, concluded 
um, right there that the mandatory program was not legal. Um, uh, later on, uh, we testified to Congress. We expressed our concerns um, primarily about the doctrinal shift. You know, why are we uh, suddenly inoculating against uh, bio uh, warfare type threats when we had never done this in the past, but we'd always had the capability um, to do it, uh, at least not on a mandatory basis. And so that was our major objection. Uh, we thought it was uh, a dangerous signal and shift to uh, um, execute this doctrinal departure where we were going to suddenly uh, start implying that we could protect our, our troops against um, uh, biological threats versus the um, previous decades where there essentially was a, a CB taboo, a chemical and biological warfare taboo. Uh, we essentially, as a nation, our military, our government, uh, decided that, you know, we, we know we can't respond to these kinds of threats because an enemy could always pick some other biological threat to go around our medical force protections. And so it was a, it was a taboo. We didn't do it. Uh, and that was the nature of our uh, congressional testimony. Um, we also highlighted um, the experiences that we'd had uh, as far as the coercion to resign uh, and the um, unfortunate aspects of the mandate, the fact that the chain of command did not listen um, to our inputs and uh, forced us out of our flying jobs. At the time, I was flying um, uh, A-10s uh, in the National Guard. And um, I did uh, get grounded from that job. And uh, I felt like it was very important to you know, stand up on principle and not comply with what we knew was a patently illegal order because of the investigational use of the vaccine in direct uh, confliction uh, with the law that the Congress had passed. And so we didn't take it. Uh, we believe that was in accordance with our oath of office. Um, the manual for court-martial actually makes very clear that soldiers cannot, must not, uh, comply with patently illegal orders. This was one, as the federal courts um, later ended up determining. Um, uh, although I uh, was able to uh, continue to serve in the military, thousands of members were not. Thousands of members were pushed out of the military, were given dishonorable discharges, bad conduct discharges, other than honorable discharges, um, less than honorable discharges, general discharges. They had their careers halted. They had their benefits um, stripped. So uh, for many years afterwards, we tried to uh, continue to work the issue. Um, uh, we participated in the lawsuit that ultimately determined that the program was illegal. And there's a little bit more background there. Um, during those years, we had uh, gained many allies. Um, uh, in our own state of Connecticut, Representative Chris Shays um, supported us, uh, ended up doing another congressional report called House uh, Report 106-556, and that report said the same thing that the Senate report said um, uh, approximately four years earlier, that the vaccine was investigational, that the military's program was not in accordance with the law. And we brought these uh, concerns to the attention of uh, many government officials, um, uh, in addition to Representative uh, Shays in our state. Uh, Senator Dodd was supportive of us, Attorney General Blumenthal, who's now a, a, a senator for Connecticut, he was supportive of us. He wrote to the SECDEF um, and to the Commissioner of Food and Drugs and said the program was uh, basically patently illegal, um, that they were violating the law and that they needed to, quote unquote, cease and desist their illegal conduct. Um, this got the attention of the White House, and we actually had been working with um, Ross Perot. Um, the late Ross Perot was a great veteran philanthropist mm -hmm. who um, uh, assisted veterans, and he reached out to us. And 
Um, we gave him all of our briefing materials. He gave our briefing materials to uh, Mr. Rove uh, in the White House, Carl Rove, uh, the president's advisor. And uh, the president's advisor uh, called us up, uh, called me up one day and said, uh, tell me what's going on. And uh, um, in short notice, uh, he also um, uh, informed us that um, one of the Department of Defense officials, the Undersecretary of Defense, um, Paul Wolfowitz, was going to uh, conduct an investigation. This all happened in the 2001 timeframe, early 2001 timeframe. And uh, he tasks undersecretaries, um, uh, uh, Dr. Chu and uh, Mr. Aldridge, um, to uh, investigate the program. And by August of 2001, the dates are really important. Uh, by August of 2001, they gave recommendations to the Secretary of Defense, um, Don Rumsfeld, and they said, hey, we need to minimize use of the anthrax vaccine. Basically, we need to stop it. Um, they said that they needed to develop a, a new vaccine, a next generation vaccine, something that the military had essentially been saying since 1985. They'd put in a request for proposal for a new anthrax vaccine versus the experimental one that was known to not be protective uh, fully uh, or approved for inhalation anthrax. Um, uh, we had brought to the attention of these government officials the fact that the Food and Drug Administration had actually uh, um, shuttered the manufacturer. They'd actually closed them down. They issued a notice of intent to revoke their license um, in 1997, and uh, they had uh, submitted their um, deviation reports showing significant deviations from current good manufacturing practices. So this was all the backdrop, and this gives context or perspective as to why these highest-level Department of Defense officials were recommending to uh, Secretary Rumsfeld to um, shut the program down and uh, um, stop mandating the vaccine. And ironically, at that point in August of 2001, they'd actually uh, run out of what they considered to be um, tested or approved doses, uh, even though the vaccine had not been um, technically approved by the Food and Drug Administration. They had gone through a supplemental uh, testing process, but they'd run out of all that vaccine. So um, uh, when the uh, Secretary of Defense received the uh, recommendations to stop the program. Shortly thereafter, 9-11 occurred. Um, and after 9-11, within about a week, anthrax letters uh, showed up in the mail. And uh, the anthrax letters came in a couple different uh, rounds. Uh, one round of anthrax letters in September uh, 2001 timeframe, and then some more um, in October. Um, we had also been working with the Department of Justice on a False Claims Act suit, um, challenging that the manufacturers uh, sale of the vaccine since it wasn't approved and that we believed it had been illegally adulterated with unapproved manufacturing changes. Um, those um, uh, illegal unapproved manufacturing changes were actually verified in a, in a government accountability office report that we um, collaborated on. And uh, the GAO basically said, yeah, the, these changes were not approved. The changes potentially affect the purity, potency, um, stability, and sterility of the product. And the Department of Defense hadn't gotten, gotten these, uh, these changes approved. Uh, that was the nature of our False Claims Act suit. Um, one week after 9-11, the Department of Justice contacted us. And though they'd been working with us on the case for the previous year, and we had every um, belief at that point that they were going to intervene and actually go after the manufacturer, they contacted us um, in light of the anthrax letter attacks and said, hey, we're dropping the case. And so they dropped the case. They did not intervene. Um, they explained to us that 
Um, they had discovered that there was intimate uh, Department of Defense um, involvement uh, in the um, anthrax vaccine uh, adulterating manufacturing changes, and that in all reality, uh, because the manufacturer had received indemnification and because of the Department of Defense's extensive involvement in the unapproved um, alterations to the vaccine, that uh, they weren't going to intervene because any kind of financial recovery would essentially be um, borne out by the, um, the Treasury Department. And it would be a circular exchange of, of, uh, of money out of the Treasury Department to pay for any fines uh, for uh, this false claim and uh, falsely certified contracts with the government. So that was disappointing, um, uh, and we were very suspicious about the anthrax letter attacks having, having happened uh, one week uh, after 9-11. Um, it seemed like it was a fear bomb uh, put in place in order to uh, scare the people that were um, investigating the vaccine program. And uh, um, one day prior to um, uh, the Department of the anthrax letter attacks um, being launched in September of 2001, uh, Carl Rove's office actually contacted me, his secretary, um, sent me an email and said, uh, Carl wants you to know that the Department of Defense will handle this from here. Uh, and then uh, a couple days later, uh, talk with the Department of Justice. They're dropping out of the case. And suddenly the new um, rhetoric was, oh, we need an anthrax vaccine and we need to rapidly try to get this manufacturer reopened. And so we're kind of banging our heads against the wall and we're very frustrated because we think everybody's being played with the anthrax letter attacks. Um, uh, many years later, that ends, ends up being essentially vindicated and I'll, I'll go into that. But we, we put our, uh, our work at that point, uh, we essentially morphed our False Claims Act uh, complaint into what's called a citizen petition. So under uh, Title 21 of the US law, which governs um, food, drugs, and, and cosmetics, um, we put together this uh, citizen petition under Section uh, 10.30. Uh, uh, the citizen petition is a mechanism for um, citizens of this country to uh, give their voice to government agencies and to explain why what the government is doing is not being done properly and try to get the government to um, react <clears throat> in, a, in a cogent manner. And and uh, alter what we believed at that point was absolutely uh, an illegal vaccine, uh, at least from a, a mandate perspective. It was an un investigational, unapproved medical product that the Food and Drug Administration had not approved. So we went ahead and we um, filed um, this False Claims Act suit in the form of a citizen petition um, on October 15th of 2001, um, uh, about uh, five, six weeks after 9-11 and a month after the first round of anthrax uh, letter attacks. Um, and uh, I filed it down at the um, Food and Drug Administration, Rockville, Maryland, uh, at FDA headquarters. And uh, I've never really explained this publicly before, but I was essentially leaving the Food and Drug Administration and departing Washington, D.C., and I called up my contacts on Capitol Hill. Uh, one of our uh, best allies at that point was Senator uh, Tom Daschle, and we had briefed, uh, with the assistance of Mr. Perot, we had briefed Senator Daschle, Representative Gephardt, the uh, um, Democratic Party leadership. Uh, they had written letters to um, SecDef Rumsfeld saying, hey, you need to look at this program um, several months earlier. 
um, they had specifically questioned the punishments meted out to the troops, the, the, these dishonorable discharges, for essentially soldiers upholding their legal rights to um, refuse, the option to accept or refuse an investigational product. And so I'm on the phone with Senator Daschle's office, and uh, they put me on hold. Uh, they come back. They say, hey, uh, the staffer cannot come to the phone right now. We've just received an anthrax package. So I was in, in disbelief and I'm very surrealistic. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting in the airport about to fly home, and I literally have advance uh, notice of the anthrax letter attacks on Capitol Hill, the second round. And they've specifically targeted Senator Daschle, who was one of our main allies, uh, who was uh, trying to get the Secretary of Defense to drop the program. And so um, they hung up on me. I went home. And uh, I tried to inform the, food, the uh, uh, Federal Bureau of Investigation what had happened, why I was in D.C., why I was on the phone uh, with their office at the very time that they were opening up the letter. Um, uh, they weren't receptive. Um, I basically got the runaround from the um, uh, FBI. I did have a, uh, a colleague uh, in the Air Force who was also an FBI agent as his full-time job. And he guaranteed me that they would contact me and that they would... Uh, look into our concerns that the anthrax letter attacks may have originated from uh, the U.S. Um, military uh, since uh, there was certainly motive to try to get the anthrax vaccine uh, program uh, reinstated or restored. Um, uh, it didn't happen. Nobody, nobody contacted me. Uh, but if you fast forward about 10 years, they finally completed their Amerithrax investigation and uh, their conclusions were in line with our original uh, tips that the uh, anthrax letter attacks originated from uh, Fort Detrick. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, the motive of the anthrax letter attacks were to uh, resuscitate the failing anthrax vaccine program. And that's what, exactly what we had told them 10 years earlier. And so <clears throat> the only reason I go into the background is because um, I think that citizens trying to communicate to their government um, is a really important input. And I think the government should listen. I think the FBI should have listened to us um, in 2001, October of 2001, when we tried to tell them, hey, you probably should be looking at um, uh, army scientists who were responsible for the anthrax vaccine program and may have had the motive to try to get the anthrax vaccine program uh, resuscitated. That ends up 10 years later being their ultimate conclusion. But if you look at the report, it's fascinating because they they essentially whitewash um, uh, Senator Daschle's involvement. They actually say in the report that they have no inkling as to why Senator Daschle's people might have been attacked, which is is kind of ridiculous in retrospect um, because Senator Daschle's office was the only entity attacked that was actually questioning the anthrax vaccine program. And the anthrax vaccine program ends up being the uh, the primary motive as to why the uh, scientist um, allegedly uh, uh, launched the letter attacks to save the program. So we believe that the uh, FBI should have listened to us. They probably could have wrapped up their investigation in a couple weeks versus it taking um, 10 years. Um, that would have been instrumental as far as maybe taking a step back, not uh, accelerating the anthrax vaccine program, not reapproving the manufacturer, and actually going back and correcting the records for the troops that uh, Senator uh, Daschle had said, hey, we need to look at this. Um, they never did it. So many years went by. Everybody wanted to turn the page. And so they never went back and corrected the records even after the FBI uh, findings came out. And a matter of fact, over those years, 
they uh, kept buying more anthrax vaccine, um, billions and billions of dollars. Uh, I was fortunate to be able to do a, uh, a master's degree program at the Naval Postgraduate School, and I actually wrote a thesis um, about this entire dilemma. Uh, and it was just the idea of, um, do we continue to procure this known inadequate experimental product for the strategic national stockpile when there's been such a um, disappointing experience with the military and this ended up getting caught up with the anthrax letter attacks after 9-11 and and as we all know you know the uh, concerns about WMD literally became one of the drum beats um, uh, for war specifically with Iraq so there's a lot of really um, uh, serious implications to not listening to your people not listening to people that are giving you tips and it also applied to our citizen petition. So we filed this as citizen petition with the Food and Drug Administration. By law, they were required to respond to it. Uh, they did respond to it about a year later, and they said, uh, Tom and Russ, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Russ Dingle was a dear friend of mine. Uh, he passed away from cancer in, uh, uh, several years ago. Um, but we had filed this citizen petition together, and they acknowledged to us you guys are absolutely right. This vaccine's never been finalized uh, by the government, uh, never finalized in the Federal Register. We need to do that. And so um, that fundamental premise of both our False Claims Act suit and our citizen petition ended up being true, um, but the government didn't do anything to fix it. They said they were going to fix it, um, but it took a federal court ruling from the D.C. Uh, District Judge Emmett Sullivan to actually say this program is absolutely illegal. You have, you do not have a finalized license for this vaccine. You need to do that. And so, you know, once again, had they just listened to us and uh, um, properly um, uh, promulgated the licensing, none of this would have ever happened. There never would have been a federal court ruling um, saying that the Department of Defense had broken the law. Um, so the citizen, uh, citizen petition process and ultimately the Amerithrax investigation, anthrax letter attack process, they were vindicating because all of those events essentially showed that um, our concerns were, were justified. Um, and the government should have listened to their citizens. Had they listened to their citizens, um, much of this never would have happened. Um, and then from there, I, I kind of want to fast forward to um, the pandemic, uh, 2021. Uh, the government is contemplating um, turning emergency use authorized uh, drug products, uh, vaccines, um, into mandates. And so, uh, once again, uh, we, we put together a citizen petition. Um, RFK Jr. actually uh, reached out um, uh, via one of our old anthrax vaccine colleagues, Dr. Merrill Nass, hmm. and asked if we'd assist in... She's uh, been on here putting... a couple times. Great, great, yeah. yeah. Merrill's wonderful, yeah. and um, uh, she uh, made sure that since we had written the citizen petition that they utilized our expertise and we helped them draft it up. Um, Dr. Nass and, and RFK Jr. filed it with the government. And once again, the government totally blew them off. They went ahead and rather than considering their arguments in a citizen petition under 21 USC 10.30 saying, hey, this is problematic. These are illegal. There's safety concerns, efficacy concerns and legality concerns. The government didn't listen once again. And so this is a, a, a common theme and, and one that if the government would listen, they wouldn't end up in these um, bad situations. And the, the mandates didn't go well. 
uh, for the very reasons cited in the petition, the mandates end up getting uh, declared illegal at a variety of levels. At the Supreme Court level, the large employer mandate gets um, overturned. At a variety of federal court levels, um, district and appellate, um, the federal contractor mandate, the federal employee mandate, um, they're all ruled illegal. Um, and just a month or so ago, the federal government finally rescinds all mandates that are, are for the most part, either uh, canceled by the Supreme Court or canceled by federal court injunctions. And they say, hey, we're going to move beyond these federal mandates. And so uh, that's good. The government's moving beyond. I think that's great. That's actually in the title, moving beyond the uh, federal um, uh, vaccine mandates. And my thought to the government, you know, if, if the government is interested in finally listening to its citizens, my thought for the government would be, you can't just move beyond. There's been a lot of damage and we probably need to go back and we probably need to talk about this. Mm -hmm. We probably need to Think about the damage that these illegal policies have created and how they've impacted the American people. Um, and so I'm going to use the expression dialectic because uh, dialectic is something that I was witnessing Dr. George Fareed at the uh, novel uh, coronavirus Southwestern Intergovernmental uh, Committee hearings here in Arizona. Um, and they were uh, talking about how do we how do we deal with the damage of all of these mandates? And uh, I found Dr. Fareed's uh, comments about the dialectic, very instructive, because that's all we've been trying to have. We've been trying to have a conversation for decades about these issues, and in particular about the emergency use um, authorized products. Um, a little bit of a rewind in history, after the federal courts declared the anthrax vaccine program illegal, um, the government, uh, under the PREP Act, came up with uh, the emergency use authorization law in 2005. So as a means of, of allowing the Department of Defense to continue to use anthrax vaccine, even though it was investigational and an unapproved medical product, uh, as a means to allow them to do it, they um, uh, created this emergency use authorization law, the EUA. The EUA very first application was anthrax vaccines. Anthrax vaccines, the very first EUA ever. And it was done to provide anthrax vaccine to troops, even though the federal court had enjoined the program and had done both a preliminary and a, and a, and a permanent injunction against the program. And the um, Department of Defense and the government agreed, you can use the anthrax vaccine under EUA, but it has to absolutely be voluntary. They published it in the federal register mm -hmm. in 2005. They said, it's gotta be voluntary, no penalty, no punishment, no loss of benefits, no loss of entitlements. People cannot lose their job if they don't want to participate in what effectively was a, a clinical trial with an uh, investigational and approved medical product. Okay. The government agreed. Uh, they were able to continue to use the anthrax vaccine uh, for our troops, but it was strictly voluntary. Okay. So that's the precedent. That's the precedent application of EUA drug product. And, and that is still consistent with the law today, both uh, service member law, which is a subset of 1107 called 1107A, 10 U.S.C. 1107A, and civilian law, 21 U.S.C. 360 BBB-3, they both require that citizens and soldiers are essentially given their prior consent or informed consent for EUA medical products. And there's been um, uh, a gargantuan fraud and misinterpretation by the government where they've tried to say that 
the word in the law, consequences, can somehow mean that we can impose secondary consequences of job loss or uh, uh, prohibiting people from attending school uh, because of that word consequences in the law. But if you look at the context of the word consequences, it comes from 21 CFR 50.25, and it relates to human protection, it relates to informed consent, and it specifically says uh, that there can be consequences um, for people uh, opting to um, uh, refuse um, investigational unapproved medical products, um, but they're strictly medical in nature. So the government completely misinterpreted the law, and unfortunately, people um, were not doing the deep dive into the law. Nobody was challenging it, and EUA products which are all that were ever provided to the American people throughout the entirety of the pandemic were mandated. Um, unfortunately, there aren't court rulings right now that um, affirm that that um, strict interpretation of the law is upheld. I think it'll happen in time. Right now, the government is working overtime trying to get all of those cases dismissed based on the fact uh, that uh, they're trying to moot them uh, since the mandates are over. But that core wording of the law is very important because it was misinterpreted and the EUA products were used illegally, not only on the troops, but on all civilians. Um, so anyway, that, that background hopefully is important. I, I really appreciate Dr. Freed um, bringing up the concept of the dialectic because it's, it's so crucial and it's what's missing. Um, uh, but podcasts like this with you, Tommy, show that, you know, we can still have the conversation. And, um, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I watched your podcast with uh, Dr. Fareed, and you guys talked about the uh, glacial pace at which um, oh, yeah. the the situation is, is moving, and sometimes it takes many, many years. Okay, so I want to just say that with anthrax vaccine, that's absolutely true. It t it's taken decades to try to get things fixed. It took 15 years to get one of my dear friends uh, records uh, corrected. And he's a dear friend because I, I worked with him for a decade and a half with his corrections board case. And finally, the Department of Defense said, yep, you shouldn't have a bad conduct discharge. We're going to upgrade your discharge to fully honorable. We're going to give you your rank back at E5. We're going to give you a good conduct medal. And we're going to give you your back pay and entitlements. So they do the right thing Sometimes it takes a long time at a glacial uh, rate. And so I agree with you guys in, in that regard, at least as it applies to the anthrax vaccine program, that um, the, the glacial pace at which things get fixed, um, it's very disappointing, but things can get fixed over time. But I compare that to the COVID pandemic and the mandates. And um, although uh, light speed is probably not the right term, things have gone much quicker. I mean, within uh, a couple years, uh, less than two years of the mandates, they've all been either halted by the federal courts or stopped by the federal government. Uh, people are aware of the um, concerning safety profiles with the mRNA products. Uh, people are aware that there are certainly efficacy concerns when it comes to uh, transmissibility or, or infection. And so, uh, things have moved very quickly, and that's good, um, because I think that unlike the anthrax vaccine dilemma, where our concerns were basically put on hold for 10 years because of the anthrax letter attacks, this time around, uh, the government is moving much quicker. Um, the State Department, um, certain entities within the WHO, the Department of Energy, the FBI, uh, the former director of national intelligence, they've all said, hey, 
this uh, virus from the um, COVID pandemic, uh, SARS-CoV-2, most likely originated from the lab that the U.S. government had been um, collaborating with on gain-of-function research. And so you have many um, governmental agencies and you have the Senate Select Committee and the House Committees on uh, Coronavirus Origins all saying the same thing, that this probably came from uh, a lab and it's probably linked back to this dangerous research, which at some points had been essentially outlawed, but unfortunately was grandfathered and allowed to uh, continue. And so um, uh, the point I want to make is, is that things are moving quickly. Government agencies are, 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 are getting a grip on it fairly quickly. We have an opportunity to correct the damage near real time this time versus waiting you know, several decades. Um, and I also think it goes to a, a really important theme of where did these things come from to begin with? Um, in uh, our dilemma from 1997 through 2001, where anthrax letters uh, emerged, uh, essentially the epidemic came from um, the U.S. Uh, biodefense research apparatus. Um, that's something that everybody essentially agrees upon. Uh, different people have different opinions as far as who the actual perpetrator was. But I do think they got the motive right, and I think it's very important that we uh, take a step back and say, hey, this defensive bio-research, which is all that we're allowed to do um, after um, previous decades and oversight where they said we shouldn't be messing around with offensive biological weapons, uh, you know, unfortunately, this defensive uh, research uh, got out of the can. Um, and if you look at what happened in Wuhan, it appears uh, whether there's shared um, culpability between the U.S. government funding of gain-of-function research or um, uh, the Wuhan scientists themselves and whatever thing uh, they might have been doing, um, uh, I think it's really important to kind of look at the provenance. You know, where did this originate from? In both cases, anthrax, letter attacks, and Wuhan, uh, it appears uh, the uh, preponderance of the evidence shows uh, that it came from our own programs, uh, and so you know one of the one of the things I try to try to say is, hey, we really need to think about you know putting some tighter controls on this. There should be controls. There's supposed to be controls, but unfortunately, um, uh, they they aren't uh, implementing those controls, or the controls just aren't good enough for this very very dangerous um, arena, um, biological weapons. And I take a step back to my academy training from 1983 to 1987, and we read a book called War Morality in the Military Profession, uh, edited by Brigadier General Malin Waken, and they talked about this CB taboo. This is exactly why we're not supposed to be doing this kind of stuff. This is exactly why we reported to Congress about the doctrinal shift and said, hey, this is dangerous. Uh, this is exactly why we reported to the FBI that, hey, we think that there's an indication that this may have come from uh, the Army labs and the Army scientists. It's exactly why we reported to the Food and Drug Administration that this vaccine isn't properly licensed. That ended up becoming a foundational basis of the later court case that found the anthrax vaccine program illegal. And it's exactly why RFK Jr. in 2021 uh, was one of the very few to stand up and say via the official government mechanisms, the citizen petition under Title 21, and say, hey, you can't do this. And the government blew him off. And so um, that's the dialectic I'd, I'd like to have. Um, you know, there are 
thoughtful, caring uh, American citizens that um, have experience with these issues, and they do not want uh, the government to continue to make these same mistakes. They made these mistakes leading to the anthrax letter attacks. They made these mistakes, it appears, um, leading to the COVID pandemic. Uh, what's the next mistake going to lead to? I, I don't think we want to get there. Uh, we need to, my expression would be, take away the Petri dishes until they figure it out, because it's too dangerous to continue to go down this road and violate the CB taboo. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to toss it over to you, Tommy, and, and, and see what kind of questions you have for me. That was brilliant. You just won for 35 minutes of pure facts. That was impressive. Um, <clears throat> those, are, So I had, I'm 32. I was 11 when 9-11 happened. Um, vaguely remember the anthrax attacks. They, they always just kind of seemed uh, to, to kind of exist in the shadows of, you know, taking down two 110-story buildings. I didn't know that there was a a vaccine years prior that had been i didn't know that i mean you think i'd know i've interviewed so many doctors we've talked so much about euas i'll admit i'd egg on my face i never i never knew that there was a vaccine leading up to it and then it was in the process of being shut down and then coincidentally got ramped right back i had no that that shifts my I also didn't know that there were, you know, that there are armed forces members refusing it and, you know, facing repercussions like we're seeing now in 2020 or what we saw mainly in 2021. Those are all things I didn't know. And COVID has become such a huge part of this podcast, which I never intended it for. But, you know, I started the podcast on December 12th, 2019, the day we now know officially COVID came to the United States. So maybe it was maybe it was written in the heavens that that's what this podcast was supposed to be. But so there is precedent because, you know, I'd see a lot of people arguing that they'd say, you know, when you sign up for the military, you're, you're kind of giving over your body and you just have to take these shots. And I didn't know that this had happened before with an anthrax vaccine. And the same, it's it's eerie, the echoes of it, the procurement, the, the money incentives, the whole, well, where did it come from? Did it come from Wuhan or did it come from here? This is really just kind of playing out again. I didn't know that at all. And that very important distinction of what you said about voluntary use. It's very similar to um, right to experiment. I don't know what the official terminology is, but essentially if you have a terminal illness and you want to try a, you know, an experimental medicine, it's, you know, it's just to put it very bluntly, you're going to die. You know, do you want to try this one thing? Do you want to swing for the fences, right? And then there's also some things like, um, I know back in 2011, they were trying it where, or they were kind of allowing it in some states, the use of psilocybin or LSD. And it was supposed to be, you know, more of a, you know, help the person come to peace with going over the great divide, whatever. But again, it was all voluntary. And the same thing, hey, anthrax vaccine, we don't know if it's going to work. If you want to take it, you can. You know, let's say, let's say there's a new hypersonic aircraft uh, available to us citizens. You can get on it. You don't have to buy a ticket on it, though, because we don't know. It might disintegrate in the atmosphere. I had no idea that they had conceded that it was an EUA experimental investigational therapy, but that you didn't have to take it and there would be no neg negative repercussions, dishonorable discharge, losing your job, whatever. This has really shifted, and it's kind of embarrassing that I've that the, I've had such a blind spot. But this really has <laughs> happened in my own lifetime. 
That's right. That's right. So 20 years ago, uh, we had the trial run. Um, the military was a very small subset of the population. So it got a lot of press, but a lot of people forgot about it, especially when the fear bomb of the anthrax letter attacks happened and, and stopped all of the oversight. I mean, the Congress was 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 on it. Uh, the administration, Carl Rove, Rumsfeld, they were on it. They were going to stop the program. And the anthrax letter tax got it all resuscitated. Um, the later, the federal courts were on it, and they they stopped it because it was illegal. And they uh, and they basically, um, you know, acknowledged that soldiers have these rights. And so that question about do soldiers have rights? They absolutely do. Their commanders and their leadership are the stewards of their rights. They are chartered with the responsibility of protecting those rights. Soldiers do give up personal freedoms when they go into the armed forces, but as far as their rights, these, these rights are under Title 10 of the U.S. law. Those laws are written for members of the armed forces, and they're only written for members of the armed forces because of past abuses, mm. uh, primarily from the first Gulf War time frame, but also prior to that. We have many past abuses uses of military members uh, where in the name of the mission they thought it was important that people you know observe nuclear tests or yeah. um, they thought it was important or they didn't understand the risks of agent orange and it's taken decades to fix those things this time when with anthrax vaccine we believed that they should fix it real time anthrax letter attacks stopped that um, this time with COVID vaccine mandates, there's thousands of people that have been punished, harmed in the United States Armed Forces. They have the opportunity to fix this. And uh, what they've done is patently illegal based on precedent, based on the black and white read of the law. And it's important to note that when the military first um, was offering COVID vaccines, it wasn't mandatory. They absolutely recognized that the law, uh, 10 U.S.C. 1107A, protected soldiers from taking EUA products. But then most people are aware of this. Many aren't. Uh, but there was a gargantuan fraud that occurred by the Food and Drug Administration and the CDC and the U.S. government that implied that uh, FDA approved products would be available. Those FDA-approved products never became available. It was only emergency use authorized products manufactured under a different regulatory uh, cons construct. And so everything that was ever offered to the troops or any citizen in the United States of America was EUA and should have been uh, applied on a voluntary basis. So I was proud of the military for not doing a mandate uh, until on or about um, September of 2021, uh, when they unfortunately took the bait and they said, hey, you got to take these vaccines. We consider them to be inter interchangeable, which turned out not to be true. Um, so, um, you know, the history is really important, and I'm glad you've um, uh, you've, you've gotten this perspective from me um, because everything that we experience, the accusations of internet misinformation, I mean, if you actually do a historical analysis of the first time the government ever accused people of mis internet misinformation, it was the anthrax vaccine debacle. Our, our <laughs> information was not internet misinformation. Our information came from Army scientists' reports. It came from Army scientists' medical journal articles. It came from congressional hearings. Uh, it came from requests for proposal by the Department of Defense. It came from investigational new drug um, applications where the Department of Defense was trying to get, but hadn't, trying to get the vaccine properly approved. So um, our position has essentially already always been their position that they forgot or ignored uh, when the script, the narrative, 
changed. And so uh, none of our information was ever internet information, all of our information. And the reason why we won the court cases and everything that's documented in my uh, thesis, it all comes from government reports. And so it is really important that we have that dialectic. It's really important that we're able to take a step back, look at the historical patterns, the accusations of internet in misinformation, the gaslighting, the censorship. Um, so it, it's all happened before with COVID uh, vaccines and the COVID pandemic. They basically took out the playbook that they'd used against us um, from 1998 through um, 2001 timeframe, and they dusted it off and they implemented it again. This time, not just against the troops, they implemented it um, on the entire American population. So uh, people should be upset. You know, it's it's uh, it's not an intellectually honest process that has occurred. And fortunately, citizens, um, if they um, dig a little bit, lift up the hood, um, you know, uh, look at the documents, they'll realize, wow, they've done this all before. And uh, we have an opportunity this time to make sure that we actually learn lessons from it because nobody learned any lessons after the anthrax vaccine. The anthrax letter attacks stopped any lessons from being learned, stopped any soldiers' records from being corrected. And unfortunately, as a result, 20 years later, plus, they did it all again, and this time on the entire population. So I appreciate you recognizing the, the importance of the historical record. Um, Operation Buster Jangle. That's where they had soldiers walk towards uh, an A-bomb, and it was not only for radiation. I think they did it in, like, forty-seven. It wasn't only for uh, radiation, um, but it was also the psychological aspect. They wanted to see, you know, because as we were building up our atomic uh, stockpile to stop a potentially belligerent Soviet Union from coming and taking Europe just, you know, two years after World War II, was, well, we figured we couldn't match them tank for tank. And Truman was like, why don't we just get a bunch of A-bombs? And so they had the first tactical nukes. Part of that was they wanted to see psychologically would U.S. soldiers, if we dropped tactical nuke on a Soviet tank column, would they then walk towards it? And so they did. You know, it's a terrifying mushroom cloud, but they did. But then a lot of those, if not all of them, died from from radiation, right? And then it's and then 30 years, 25 years later, yeah, you got Agent Orange. And I think there was like several other agents. Everyone knows Agent Orange. I want to say there was like six other agents, um, just a bunch of different colors. Yeah, and then you have Gulf War syndrome. There's nothing new under the sun. It's just right. it's just echoing echoing and repeating. But you know, I think the takeaway is is, you know, on one hand, I would imagine there's more of a pushback now because like you said, that was just the US military, which although a large number of people compared to three hundred and fifty million people is a small percentage. So just as humans, it just is what it is, doesn't make it right, doesn't make it wrong we tend to not care until it affects us, right? So with COVID, it does come knocking on everyone's door. It wasn't, it's not some abstract thing of, oh, that's 9-11 in New York, but I live in Montana. It's no, if you want to go to your local, you know, movie theater, you got to have this vaccine. So on one hand, it's, I guess it's good that the egregiousness was so large because it forced everyone to be involved, right? It's, I'll put it this way. When we were kids, you know, if, if one of us was lying, my dad would just be like, all right, there's no TV for anyone tonight. And now all of a sudden it's like, all right, now I'm turning on my brothers. It's like, which one of you did this? Like, what's going on? Right. So right. in that sense, it's almost good that it happened. But I can only imagine if we're talking about radiation tests in the 40s, 
I would imagine something probably happened in Korea, Vietnam, Gulf War syndrome, anthrax vaccines, now COVID, it would stand to reason that given another 10, 20 years, there'll be something happening in 2045. There'll be some podcaster interviewing some guy and they'll learn that it happened again and again. So I would imagine if, you know, we can kind of do a real zoom out 100,000 foot view takeaway is stick to your guns. If you know something is, it might just be intuitive where you don't have the receipts, but you just know something is wrong. Or if you do have the legal precedent like you do of, Hey, this is, this is illegal. You can't do this. Stick to your guns and you're going to be attacked. They're going to use every, you know, every tool they have, they're going to say it's misinformation, disinformation. They're going to say you're un-American. They're going to play the fear card of the terrorists are winning. And then they're also just going to try to make fun of you. They're going to call you an anti-vaxxer. They're going to call you conspiracy theorists. And those are all very effective. I, w- I would say those are up there. Those are as effective as armor-piercing bullets, man. Yeah, sure, you can shoot someone. But if you really want to ostracize someone, make fun of them. Even right. a- even adults, man, you'll, you'll cave. You'd Nobody wants to be the made. F- Nobody wants to go hang out with their friends and everyone's like, hey, look at the anti-vaxxer. Like, it, that's yeah. an effective weapon. Stick yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah. The, the, the ad hominem attack, um, though intellectually very hollow, um, is very effective and people need to um, see beyond yes. it. And that's one of the things that, that resonates with me about the approach of, uh, of RFK Jr. is uh, he hits them with the facts and all they have in response is ad hominem attacks and, um, they don't, they don't answer the mail. Uh, but it's very important that we have elected leaders like RFK Jr. that are willing to call out the governmental and the regulatory capture of, uh, agencies that unfortunately are, um, complying with the will of the military industrial complex or the bio uh, pharmaceutical complex, and they're not doing their jobs on behalf of the American people. And so it's really important that in the future we have elected um, officials uh, that are, are are willing to make that happen, you know, put their foot down, not be willing to turn the page and make sure that we uh, ensure that these kinds of things don't happen again. Uh, we have ample precedent um, legally. Um, these different situations that have happened um, have, have shown us that it just keeps happening over and over again. We have to do something about it. Yeah, the, the, the attacks on the person. I mean, there's right? There's all sorts of, you know, psychological warfare during war. You know, just the sound of guns, the sound of artillery. It's, you know, it rattles you to your core. Um, and it, that's just based on our own evolution, right? Our own fight or flight instincts that have evolved over billions of years. So is, you know, tribalism. Tribalism keeps you alive. When it's you and a couple other cavemen being together and being part of the tribe and looking out for one another and taking care of each other when you're hurt and providing food when you're the other guy's hunt doesn't go well not being kicked out of society out of your cave out of your village that is as deep as the need for sex the need for food the need for water fight or flight wanting to sleep wanting to store fat that is as ingrained to us as fight or flight as you know night and day sleepy awake is not wanting to be kicked out of the group. We we do not want to be removed from. There's a funny joke about about uh, kicking people out of groups. He goes, how, "How how do you punish prisoners? How do you punish people locked away with other killers?" 
You put them in solitary confinement. <laughs> you remove them from other killers, and that's punishment. So, you know, it makes absolute sense that that's how they would attack you. Is they 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 use everything, and eventually they'll make fun of you. And it, it's a very effective attack. But, um, I think this has been very valuable for me. And that you know, I've done hundreds of COVID episodes, and a lot of the information does overlap. I'll, I'll be honest. This is this was almost a, this is a rare podcast in which uh, honestly. I had no idea about. I I vaguely knew about anthrax. I knew that there was uh that it didn't seem to be like a like a garage terrorist. I know that there were some parts about it. It was the like the size of the anthrax and that they overcame the hydrostatic attraction to other stuff. So it seemed to be very high level manufacturing. I didn't know. I had no idea about about the vaccines. I had no idea about about the investigation and then it conveniently being swept under the rug. That's wild, man. And to me that, that just makes COVID vaccines all the more suspicious. And it's all, it's all in the FBI report, the yeah. uh, department of justice, FBI, Amerithrax report um, says this about motive. All you got to do is word search motive on it, that they, they did it. Uh, it. It was intended to save the anthrax vaccine program, but then they never, uh, looked underneath that and said, well, well, what? why did they attack Dashiell? I mean, that's to me, that's a, a, a huge gap in their analysis. They didn't analyze it, didn't make it clear to the American people because they messed up and they didn't go after that from the very beginning as we had told them that they should do. And um, um, the bottom line is, is that um, uh, I agree with you, the idea of how frustrating it is to not be listened to um, and to have the ad hominem attacks, um, they don't really attack me. Um, I think I, I, you know, hopefully have um, reasonably intelligent, well thought out arguments and well cited. So they don't they don't really uh, attack me. And I've been doing it for many many years. And I refer to it as being unyielding. The way you overcome these kinds of intellectually hollow attacks is you just don't go away. Yeah. You just keep. Uh, keep it dispassionate, keep it measured, uh, make sure you're citing um, government resources. Those government resources are um, essentially making our case at this point, and we need to make sure that the government in the future uh, does the appropriate regulatory reform to make sure stuff like this never happens again, that the government never uh, imposes mandates that are in patent violation of U.S. law on the American population. So um, as far as resources go, um, I have uh, a website, unyielding.org. Um, uh, readers can go and find much of this information there. There's a COVID tab that go goes through all the logics of why the COVID vaccine mandates were illegal, both for the troops. It's kind of oriented towards the troops um, and also how to correct their records. Um, the other website that unyielding.org is linked to is hopingforjustice.org um, using the number four. So actually the, okay. the numeral hopingforjustice.org. And, and there I have the process for soldiers to get their records corrected. Um, uh, those soldiers that have been removed from the armed forces should immediately apply to have their records corrected. Um, the Department of Defense was ordered by the Congress as of the National Defense Authorization Act for 2023 to stop their COVID mandate. So I think that the Department of Defense knew perfectly well their mandate was going to be declared illegal, just like the anthrax vaccine uh, mandate was declared illegal. And so uh, essentially, uh, Congress did them a great favor by getting the mandate in the armed forces stopped to hopefully keep that kind of an illegality ruling uh, from happening. Um, 
Congress stopped shy of the actual target. They should have made sure that the soldiers' records were fully corrected. Uh, They did put explanatory language into the um, Senate House Joint um, uh, Resolution um, to encourage the Department of Defense to correct things. Um, And coming from the Air Force, I've I've got to say, I think the Air Force, my impression is, has probably been one of the best services so far in trying to go back and uh, fix records for for folks, um, for the people that are still in. um, uh, don't hold it against them for the people that are out, bring them back in. That's not happened with all the services. Um, there's recently been, um, an army officer, uh, Lieutenant uh, Mark Bashaw that has been, um, discharged related to mandate issues. Um, I think that enough of the programs were problematic and, uh, questionably legal that I think it would be, um, uh, inspirational to have the Department of Defense, uh, take a step back and say, you know what, we're not going to do these adverse um, actions against people that were questioning these mandates, basically living up to their oaths of office. And if they have already done adverse actions like they just did with First Lieutenant Bashaw, um, we're going to reverse that um, because ultimately, like my uh, colleagues that I've helped get their records corrected in uh, in the military over anthrax vaccine, ultimately these things do get corrected. Uh, the Department of Defense under the previous administration was directed by the White House and did uh, SecDef level memos in order to correct um, errors, injustices, and inequities. Uh, that memo um, by um, the Undersecretary of Defense, um, Wilkie, um, actually, um, when you look at inequities, there's an incredible inequity in the way in which soldiers have been treated. Uh, some are continuing their careers. Um, their chain of command was prudent enough to not kick them out. Um, others got kicked out. There's incredible inequities. So based on that SecDef level guidance alone, there is a basis to apply for correction of military records because some people got general discharges. They've lost their educational benefits that they earned and worked for. Um, other service members are still serving and are getting promoted. Um, and that is not uh, coincident with a uniform code of military justice. Our, our military justice should be uniform. Um, uh, we should make sure that there aren't inequities. And so COVID vaccine uh, mandate um, injustices um, are the very definition of inequities. And I'm very hopeful that the future leadership of the Department of Defense and um, uh, the government, the Congress, will make sure that we correct these things for our troops based on the um, easily documentable inequities that have occurred for uh, to our soldiers. Um, none of this was their fault. They're not the ones who came up with these mandates. They just read the law, and the law said, you cannot mandate that we take these emergency use authorized products. And uh, they simply asked for their legal rights to be upheld. That was their commander's responsibility. Some commanders um, took care of troops and shielded them from the illegal conduct, just as over the course of my career um, happened favorably for me uh, on many different junctures. It's absolutely wrong that uh, 20 plus years ago, other soldiers received dishonorable discharges, um, felony convictions, jail sentences, fines, um, all variety of non-judicial punishment. That should all be corrected. And similarly for our COVID vaccine mandate punished class of soldiers, they, they need to just across the board fix it for everybody because it was the government and the military that was wrong. They misread the law. They need to have the courage, show the leadership, have the humility to take a step back and, and fix it real time. Perfectly said. Um, we do need to wrap this up. I got it on a show I got to do, but Colonel, it was 
such an honor to have you on here. And for you guys listening, unyielding.org and uh, hoping for justice, both those links are in the description. Um, and uh, Colonel Remford, I would love to have you on again. I will, uh, I'll send you this episode when it's up. And um, yeah, dude, I look forward to talking to you again. Thanks, Tommy. I appreciate you uh, being a part of the dialectic. Yes, sir. Thank you for coming on, man. Guys, please go check out those websites. And uh, Colonel, I will text this to you. Thank you so much. Recording God bless stopped. everybody. Thank you for watching. Peace.